Come to me, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. So it's from our gospel reading this morning, and what a gift and a blessing that is, as long as you don't, for, don't remember that resting can be so difficult. This is what I have learned, at least in the times of sitting in silence, is that I am not particularly inclined to rest on most days and in most moments. And yet, it is a theme and a directive throughout the whole of Scripture that God invites us in to recognize that we are wearied and tired, and that in the presence of God, we may rest. This is the third week out of the three weeks we're spending in the discussion of Sabbath and rest. And we've been sort of working our way backwards in terms of scriptural account. We started in the book of Deuteronomy talking about the seven-year Sabbath year as a reminder that we should treat all of what we have as a blessing to be shared, to bless one another. And then we talked about the Sabbath as it shows up in the Ten Commandments and that reminder that we are to break away from the world and the way that the world runs, to rest so that those around us may rest. We can create a new way and practice of living. Those, script, uh, those sermons and those worship services are, of course, recorded on our YouTube channel, and you're welcome to go back to those or any other um, at any time you wish. This Sunday, we're going back to the very beginning, to the words of the creation story, right at the beginning of the second chapter of Genesis, when God moves from sixth day to seventh day and rests. Let us pray. Almighty God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Every day, Mary Oliver wrote once in a poem, every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. I love that line, that more or less kills me with delight. I can tell you exactly what it was that nearly killed me with delight on at least one specific day, now nearly two years ago. It was a beautiful fall day, and I was busy with something that I absolutely cannot remember, but seemed particularly important at the time. And it was at that day when Deacon Tina invited Jennifer, my wife, and I to join her and her husband, Greg, for an afternoon walk on a trail that runs through the nature preserve back behind their property out in Manchester Township. We had never been in that particular preserve before and had heard wonderful things about it, and I still almost didn't go because life was as busy as life always seems to be, and a walk through a forest with leaves every imaginable shade of red and orange seemed an unnecessarily frivolous thing to do when there were so many more important things to be done. Rest is rarely as welcome an intrusion as we might think it would be. But we did go, and I was glad that we did. Tina and Greg led us on the path that has wound its way through the forest, eventually coming alongside a long stretch of quiet water. And the birds were singing a chorus around us as we went. We noticed the trees that had been felled by the beavers and the cloven hoof prints left by passing deer. And eventually we came to this overlook of sorts, a little clearing on the bank, no more than a few feet wide, but a place where you could look out at as tranquil a nature scene as you could imagine. There were reeds 
growing in the water there at the edge of the lake, and there were tree branches reaching out above us. There was a family, I think, of swans further out gliding effortlessly and silently through the water. And so we stopped there a moment to look and to breathe and to rest. And there in that silence, peering out over the lake on that cool fall afternoon, I was caught by the sight of a leaf which was reflected in the perfectly polished surface of the water. The leaf was falling from a tree branch above us, and so I looked up to see it making its slow descent down, bobbing just a bit on the wind, while I also watched its reflection rise upward in the surface of the water. And I watched as the two met one another, rising and falling as the leaf landed on the surface. It was a very simple thing, and it absolutely overtook me. I was awash in wonder and awe at the beauty of this simple moment. It was as if the world had suddenly unfolded in front of me, offering a depth of beauty I had never thought to explore. I remember feeling almost devastated at how awestruck I was by such a simple thing, somehow fully aware that I might never forget how once, on the bank of a quiet lake, I watched a leaf fall from a tree. To be spiritual, Rabbi Abraham Heschel wrote once, is to be amazed. In 1884, an English school teacher wrote a novella about a two-dimensional world that he called Flatland, a place that was populated entirely by two-dimensional geometric shapes. These shapes, whether circles or hexagons or octagons, experienced height and depth, but no width. But one night, the main character, a square, was visited by a three-dimensional sphere, and he was dazzled, amazed to discover that there was so much more to the world than he had ever known. But when he tried to tell others, all of the other two-dimensional shapes, about this added dimension to their reality, he was disbelieved and eventually imprisoned. Because in that story and in the world, it can be hard to imagine a reality more mysterious and wonderful than we have ever known. It can be disorienting to consider that there might be more than we had been able to imagine. After all, we know the world, don't we? We know it, and it's not that great. Our list of frustrations is long. Our grievances run longer still. The 24-hour news services recite the global injustices with excruciating detail, and our hearts fill in all the rest of what happens and grieves us closer to home. And then there are to-do lists following us from work to home, reminding us of all the things we have yet to do and should have already done. This is what we know. This is the world that we live in, what we awake to day after day without exception. And we are not wrong in our perception. The world is hardly a great place. And yet, we may also be lacking the depth to see the fullest picture. What might it take for us to see past what we know, to look deeper at the world where we live? It might take nothing more than a little interruption. The seventh day of creation, our scripture from Genesis for today, is an interruption in the larger creation story. For six days, God has been crafting the world, calling forth the light and the land, forming every living thing from the largest beast of the forest to the smallest fish 
and the sea. And all along the way, God has looked at what God has made and said, it is good. And then on the sixth day, people were created, fashioned in the image of God, given responsibility to tend to creation and to support its flourishing. And then God looked over people and all of what God had made and said that it was all supremely good. There was evening, Scripture says then, and there was morning the sixth day. And if we didn't know that God had an affinity for a series of sevens, we would think the story was finished. Nothing else needed to be created. And even if we were to wonder about rest, well, God has no need for that. It is absurd bordering on sacrilegious to suggest that God surely must be so wearied, so tired from this hard week of work that the divine trinity needs a bit of a breather. And yet... God rests. It is a surprising inclusion that may well be meant to startle us, to surprise us with the idea that the world is not done until rest has been added into it. The second verse of the text that we read from Genesis says that on the sixth day, God completed all the work that he had done. But there's a footnote there in the text to let the reader know that some ancient sources say instead that on the seventh day, God completed the work of creation. Rest itself is the handiwork of God, the final act of creation carefully placed into this world. And while God had stopped to consider and see that creation was good, while God had stopped to even offer blessings over all the animals and over all the humans, here, God blesses the seventh day and makes it holy. This is the only thing in the whole creation story that God calls holy. It isn't spelled out here what that means in terms of Sabbath. That will be clarified later in the Ten Commandments in the desert and the other side of Egypt. For now, it is enough to know while the sun and the moon keep time in months and seasons, God has laid out a pattern of seven days that peaks with a day of rest. It is rest that completes the week the rest that completes creation and may even be rest that completes us all over again every seven days. If only we would let ourselves be shaken out of our normal patterns of short-sighted pragmatism to see the whole of the world around us. The God who did not need rest chose it nevertheless because God delighted in all that was made. Like a musician, thrilled by hearing the melody of their own composition, or an artist overjoyed at the way their art catches the light just so, God lingers over every detail of creation, every stone, every paw, every blade of grass, and every rocky cliff, every trickle of water flowing downhill, and every sunset arriving just on time. It is good, God says. And like a parent, Letting go of a child's tiny hands to let them explore and learn and grow, God settles in to rest and to watch and says, I love watching you be you. It is this rest that we are invited into, this rest of a richer perspective, this surprising discovery that as true as the frustrations and the pains of our day-to-day life might be, creation still carries the fingerprints of its creator 
in marvelous ways. It is a holy and blessed thing to see that what God created is still good amid it all. And it is a holy blessing for we who stumble into the seventh day battered and wearied, sin-sick and guilt-ridden, feeling ever so fragile and ever so unimportant, only to discover there in the rest that we are a part of what God loves and delights in. What wondrous love is this, goes an old folk tune. Oh my soul, oh my soul. Wonder is always found through interruption, said someone that I read this week, and I think they may be right. Wonder is always a surprise, something that stops us in our tracks, something that takes our breath away, something that delights us and lifts our eyes, that insists we look further, imagine more broadly, ponder more deeply. It's not something we can plan for or fabricate in our lives, but it is, in some marvelous paradox, still something we might set an appointment for. We can set aside a time to rest and see if we might be amazed by the wonders of a wondrous God. Our goal, Rabbi Heschel wrote once, should be to live life in radical amazement, to get up in the morning and look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. To be spiritual is to be amazed. Mary Oliver said she was struck by delight once a day. Could it be that there is always something new in God's good creation to marvel at? Preacher and writer Frederick Beekner thought so. Using the same old materials, he said, of earth, air, fire, and water, every 24 hours God creates something new out of them. If you think you're seeing the same show all over again seven times a week, you're crazy. Every morning, you wake up to something that in all eternity never was before and never will be again. And the you that wakes up was never the same before and will never be the same again either. Every day seems a bit much, but I think I could do it every seven. One day a week. I can make an appointment with wonder. Set aside schedules and responsibilities to wait for the God who will surely be made known somehow, somewhere in this marvelous world. And rest from my own ambitions to marvel at God's handiwork. I can learn to delight and love a fractured and broken world as surely as God has done the same. We can rest and marvel at what we see. Look, God is good. Thanks be to God. Amen. Friends, as we continue in worship, I invite you to stand in body.